Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Friends, truth is under attack. This is Jeremiah Johnston coming to you on Faith Radio Network and the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Truth is under attack. You don't have to go very far in our culture uh, to see it doesn't matter at what level among celebrities, the media elites, social media. We live in a world of fake news, fake history, and now we're living in a world in which truth is not even a concept that people understand. Um, I was recently reading an article Uh, I've just finished a Bible study book for LifeWay. It comes out in a few months called Answers to Tough Questions. And I was writing about this concept of does absolute truth exist? And I noticed an article in a major publication discussing Sheryl Sandberg, who runs the Facebook company, not being able to distinguish between right or wrong as a graduate of the Harvard Business School. And that immediately reminded me that over 10 years ago, Harvard Business School actually eliminated, as part of its curriculum, the business ethics courses. So just let that sink in. Ten years later, there is a graduate of Harvard Business School, Sheryl Sandberg, who according to this article, and I'm not making any judgments, I'm just explaining the situation that we're living in, where she is essentially being adjudicated as someone who cannot see right from wrong, who cannot make those kind of value judgments between right or wrong. The article goes on to interview a former faculty member who actually was from Europe, believe it or not, who came to teach at Harvard Business School, and he said it was the first time in a setting of that level of a university, Harvard Business School, where his students were unable to make valued distinctions and valued judgments between right or wrong. These are our business leaders, friends, men and women who lead companies and lead businesses who cannot distinguish between right and wrong, or in other words, who do not believe in absolute truth. I want to teach you in today's broadcast how to answer this question Does absolute truth exist, or is truth relative to your circumstance and your situation? I feel so strongly about this. I'm going to take the entire hour in today's broadcast, and I'm going to air a message that I recently gave just a few weeks ago here in Houston, Texas. Uh, Does absolute truth exist? This was broadcast at Houston's First Baptist Church to all, all of their campuses live uh, I'm, I thank the Lord for the great response to the message, uh, and it's simply an outgrowth of my new book that's coming out, again, Answers to Tough Questions, published by LifeWay. You need to know as a believer in Jesus Christ how to answer someone who walks up to you and says, oh, that's your truth. That's, that's not my truth. That's your truth. Or, you know what, I don't believe in truth, or I don't believe in good and evil. Did you know there are many professors today who teach in our local universities 
They're nihilists. That's a Latin term. They don't believe in anything. That's what nihilism is. And they certainly don't believe in good. They don't believe in evil. They don't believe evil exists. And that's what they're teaching our young people. Well, you need to know as a careful Christian thinker how to answer this question, does absolute truth exist? And more so, we live in a culture where truth is literally under attack, where truth can be wielded as a weapon, unfortunately, sometimes. And so what do we learn from the ministry and the life of Jesus, who not only said he had the truth, he didn't say he knew the truth or he taught truth. He said he was the truth. Jesus Christ is truth embodied. So I'm going to teach you this today. I want to have, encourage you to have your Bible out to John chapter 18. And we're going to come midstream and probably one of the most important discussions in the gospel between Jesus and Pilate. Uh, but I'd be message by showing exactly what happens if we live in a world where truth becomes relative. And guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to make, <laughs> I don't think it's too much of a stretch to make a guess. You don't want to live in a world where truth is relative. You don't want to live in a world where your airline pilot says, hey, uh, I'm going to land the plane today according to my truth, not according to the laws of physics. <laughs> you don't want to go to a doctor and have surgery uh, and your doctor look at you just before you go into the operating room and say, I'm going to operate according to my truth. So, uh, no, you want to operate according to the laws of medicine. So absolute truth does exist. We want it to exist in every area except these contending categories of behavior or religion or ethics. I'm going to teach you today how to answer the question, does absolute truth exist? We'll be right back with a message. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. Let's go right now to my message, Does Absolute Truth Exist? Very soon the world will celebrate the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And it truly is a global celebration because 400,000 individuals, scientists, engineers, technicians, factory workers were involved in that momentous July day that came down to 13 minutes. You remember the moment, I'm sure, if you were alive 50 years ago. It's one of those moments everyone remembers where they were when man stepped on the moon. But it's in those 13 minutes when Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong are descending towards the moon at a rate of 125 feet per second from 50,000 feet in the air and you can go back now and you can listen to the Capcom communication. And by the way, do you remember the average age of the flight commanders when they were speaking quarter of a million miles away to Armstrong and Aldrin? Their average age was 26 years old. In fact, those that have been interviewed recently in commemoration of the anniversary said, we were so young, we, did, we didn't know we were supposed to be afraid. And if you listen in those defining moments when Captain Armstrong radios back, 1202, I need a reading. They said it was the only moment that he seemed a little uh, nervous because what was happening. Now, can you imagine if we applied the cultural worldview in those 13 minutes, what if those 26-year-old flight commanders sat back in their chair, brought their coffee up, kicked their feet on the desk, said, hey, Buzz, Neil, go ahead and perform the moon landing however you feel like in this moment. I mean, just whatever you feel is your truth, 
uh, ignore the truth of 400,000 scientists and engineers and technicians. Just go, go ahead and land on the moon however you see fit. That, of course, would end in disaster. And friends, as we know, everything had to go right. It was a mission that would cost in today's currency $200 billion. And it was. And we celebrate it. And yet it also reminds me of the clever, trendy, culture, cultural commentary today that says, are you ready for this? The truth is, there is no absolute truth. How do you respond to this statement? The truth is, there is no absolute truth. And we begin to see now the effects of relativism. That is, truth is relative, culture would have us believe, to your situation, to your circumstance, to your time. And I want to say this as somebody who has had the opportunity to study at the highest levels in some of the finest libraries around the world with some of the smartest men and women, there are sophisticated attacks on the Christian faith today. I often say that there is a graduate, even a doctoral level of skepticism alive and well in our world today. So as Christians, we cannot have a freshman response. We need to know how to communicate our faith in a confident in a winsome, in a compassionate way, but in an intelligent way. And so I raise to you this morning, there are sophisticated attacks on our faith. There are sophisticated questions. And I pray that we have many people watching right now, not only in this sanctuary, but across all of our campuses, those of you joining us online, I pray we have many who are maybe called skeptics or seekers, or they have questions about the faith. And I would agree there are sophisticated arguments But what I'm answering this morning is not a sophisticated argument against the Christian faith. In fact, I'm going to show you, even though it may seem inclusive and trendy and very just, you know, in the cultural milieu of the day to say, you know what? Oh, that's so great. I mean, have you ever had that kind of conversation with a neighbor or a friend or someone in college? I mean, this commentary is hugely popular in the university campus today that there is no absolute truth. Truth is just relative. I'm going to show you in four important points, and I want to encourage you, you might want to have something to write with. Uh, This, though, is a very interesting attack on the Christian faith, and I think it has gained traction because... It does seem so inclusive, it's so popular, it's so trendy, and yet I want to show you the effects of how deadly relativism can be. And I'm going to close with a very personal story that I've only shared in one other audience before coming here to church to share it today. When you go, last time I preached at Houston's First, I talked about how the church is growing in China, and it's amazing. But I'm very concerned about the persecution of the Christian church that is happening right now in our modern day under the Chinese Communist Party. Do you know that they have prohibited under the age of 18 from attending local church services? And the Chinese government in many of these provinces, because they determine what's truth, mind you, They are actually now employing facial recognition, artificial intelligence software, where they are scanning the audiences to see who these people are that are attending and if there are any under the age of 18. Why is that? Do you know what the number one question is 
What are Chinese university students most curious about? Christianity. That is the number one question that most Chinese university students have today. It is about Christianity. But if truth is relative, as it is according to the Chinese government, this is a copy of my Christian Standard Bible. Do you know that the Chinese government has just released a new sanctioned copy of the Bible and Jesus is completely edited? You will find if you pick up a sanctioned Chinese Bible today, according to, quote, their truth, there are no Ten Commandments. Because you cannot be an adherent Chinese communist and claim the first commandment to the Chinese government, there will be no other gods before me. And so, friends, even though I say this is not a sophisticated attack on our faith, it is a clever one, and you need to have an informed answer when your friends and your family and celebrity and social media and news say, oh, that's great, that's just your truth. There is no belief system that has been under more scrutiny, more critical inquiry, no belief system has been more investigated than the Christian movement. Are you aware of that? And so where do we stand today where the world has taken and thrown its fastballs against the Christian movement? I'm here to tell you the Christian faith has never been more popular or prominent or influential around the world. In fact, do you know that right now, and I use the smallest number I can find, 70,000 people a day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ right now. In fact, one out of every three people you meet, one out of three are a follower of Jesus. Rick Warren and I were speaking at a conference in D.C. three weeks ago. He used a much higher number because of their international aid work. The Peace Corps is now studying what Rick Warren's church does for humanitarian and gospel aid around the world. That's kind of fascinating when you think about it. He said 140,000 are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, friends, it is fascinating to me that we need to be able to understand the cultural commentary and answer this. But when you say there is no truth, there is actually an opportunity to insert new truth, a truth that is relative. And even though it may seem inclusive and trendy and popular, I'm going to show you in a few moments how deadly this can be. What do I pray that you can do? This is the job that you have. You are going to receive incredible content over the four weeks of this summer skeptic series. And your job is to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, guide me. How do I take the content that I'm hearing and bridge the converse, bridge to conversation and conversion? And so I want to give you some steps when somebody comes to you and says, hey, all truth's relative, or that's just, I don't believe in absolute truth. How do we respond? I want to begin with a very important quote from Blaise Pascal. And I'm not speaking about the Pascal who's playing in the NBA Finals. Oh, I'm talking about his namesake, the great Christian thinker from France, uh, who died just months after his 39th birthday. In fact, he was a great mathematician, a great scientist. We couldn't really do meteorology without the inventions of Blaise Pascal. And he didn't get a chance to write his books on Christianity, and so they collaborated his thoughts into a French term, pensée, thoughts. And this is what Pascal said about your job as a Christian. Men despise religion. They hate it. They're afraid it may be true. The cure for this is to first show that religion is not contrary to reason, but worthy of respect and reverence. 
Now, this next sentence is worth the whole experience in church this morning. Our job when presenting the gospel is to make it attractive, make men wish it were true, and then show them that it is. Do you have the ability when you give Christian conversations to first make people wish it were true? You know, when someone walks up to me and says, Jeremiah, I I just think the Christian faith is irrelevant to my life. It tells me they have not grasped what stands and what falls in the Christian movement. I'm so committed to this. I wrote an entire book of what the world would be like without Christianity, and I called it unimaginable. I have 40 pages of of eight-point single-space citations in the back of this book. It is not just my opinion or assertion. It is based in history and evidence of what happens, A, in societies where Christianity is is unleashed, and what happens in societies where Christianity collapses. It's unimaginable, and it's available for you today. Aeschylus, the father of modern tragedy who lived 500 years before the Christian movement, he said, in war, truth is the first casualty. And friends, there is an all-out war on truth today. Why do you think Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, we tear down arguments? There are fortresses of ideas that are imprisoning men and women all over this room. Lies of the enemy, where your life becomes so complicated. That's why people get excited when they worship God. Did you know that? And we should. How many of you can think of a moment in your life where you were entrapped by the lies of the world? The lies of culture, and then God redeemed you. He changed your life. He forgave you. You locked into the truth, and it transformed you. That's what we get excited about. That's what we worship, and that's why we're going to live forever with Him. We'll be right back with more of my message, Does Absolute Truth Exist? Stay with us. Hey friends, welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Have your Bible out to John 18. Let's go right back to my message, Does Absolute Truth Exist? Our world, though, is very much in truth trouble. We live in a world that right now, according to Gallup, in their 40-year history of testing whether Americans believe the Bible is the Word of God, this is the lowest number. Only 24% of people believe that the Bible contains absolute truth. That's a 2017 study. Another 2016 data point says that two-thirds of Americans now believe that moral truth is relative and changing to your situation. So that's what we're facing when we discuss this relativism argument. And too many Christians tend to, what's the word, malfunction when someone raises this this question because, oh, how do I answer this with, you know, I don't want to wield truth as a weapon. How, How do we answer this about absolute truth? Well, the first thing I would say, we have smart homes, right? We have smart cars. I'm wearing a smart watch. We need smart Christians. And all God's people said, amen. That's why we have this series. We need smart faith that can answer this question. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 18. And I hope you have something to write with. We come midstream into a very important conversation. And in fact, I love the Bible because, as I've said maybe here once before, I don't know. God is a big boy. He can take your most difficult question. What I love is... 
the Bible does not shield us from these interesting conversations. And in John 18, we actually meet the world's first postmodern relativist, and he lived 2,000 years ago. His full Latin name, Marcus Pontius Pilate. Pilate is having a discussion with Jesus. I want to make sure you understand the context. Pilate represents the truth, Emperor Tiberius. Pilate is speaking to Jesus saying, I represent the Son of God, Emperor Tiberius. And he comes to Jesus and he says in verse 37, you are a king. Then Pilate asks, you say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. By the way, verse 37, John 18, is the most emphatic, clear mission statement. If you want to know what Jesus was about, this is the clearest mission statement in all of the Gospels. I have come unto this world, the Bible says, to testify to the truth. Underline the definite article, if you would. I don't want to lose you with an English composition lesson, but the definite article is so important. What is the definite article? The word the. Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth. And then Jesus responds to the one who is judging him, and he looks at his judge, and he calls him to be a disciple. Pilate, everyone who is of the truth. Here's my voice. Ek tes aletheus. Of the truth. Here's my voice. Pilate represents to me the cultural secularist who has no time for truth. And he responds, what is truth? Make no mistake, there is no definite article. Now, if we have any Latin scholars out there, I understand there's no definite article in Latin when they're talking. The person who is interpreting this conversation in Koine Greek makes it clear. Pilate had no interest. Don't you miss this in the truth. It's powerful, isn't it, when we parse out the word of God? Pilate was a good relativist. The Bible, though, teaches us what truth is. The Bible says that truth corresponds with reality at all times. The truth never changes, and it exists whether you recognize it or not. I can tell you that I sincerely don't believe in gravity and try to launch myself over the middle rows here and you all know what's going to happen. It exists even if I sincerely believe it doesn't. I can close my eyes as my four boys try to do and say I don't believe gravity exists. And guess what? It still does. The Bible says that absolute truth is true for all people, at all times, in all places, and make no mistake, truth is not inclusive, it is always exclusive. Something cannot be true for you and false for someone else. Don't ever buy this lie. And yet culture attempts to deceive us into believing that truth is limited by time, that, you know, truth is limited by your situation or your personal preference. You know what I think of when I hear this statement? I think of the great Wheaton professor, Arthur Holmes. He wrote a book, and I know that you know the title of this. The title of the book is, All Truth is God's Truth. And do you know what Holmes made sense of? Because God is truth, we'll get there in a moment, because all truth is God's truth, 
we can have a firm belief that any truth we find in the world can and will be reconciled with our faith. The scales of truth, friends, the scales of absolute truth tip in our favor as a body of believers. Number two, the truth or truth. Make no mistake, in John 18, 37, I find this conversation powerful. Jesus doesn't say, I have the truth. He doesn't say, I teach the truth or I know the truth. He looks at his judge who, in his mind, represented absolute truth. And he said to Pilate, no, I am truth embodied. John 14, 6, if you know it, say it. Jesus said, and say it out loud, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 4, 24, the Bible says, those who worship God must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. In John 1, 14 to 18, the only place in the gospel of John the word charis, grace, pops up is right in the the prologue. It said that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you know that when you lock into the truth of God in your life, you become, the force of the Greek is, like a bolt of truth in your community? And it says in the scriptures in John 1, 14 to 18, it literally says we go from strength to strength when we lock into the truth of God's word. Are you living in strength to strength this morning? Or perhaps are you living in the confusion of the world around you? A confusion that perhaps you feel like you might be in quicksand. The beauty is today, the easiest way to eliminate that confusion is to know the truth. And the truth is not impersonal. The truth is a person. And we spell truth, J-E-S-U-S. That is how we spell truth, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I have it. And then finally, absolute truth, make no mistake, is and will always be for all time and beyond from Almighty God. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. I love this passage because in John 18, 37, right back here in the Bible, Jesus says, this is where he calls Pilate to be his disciple. Pilate, you want to know what truth is? Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, friends, this is really powerful because for so many reasons, it really reveals the human heart. We minister to some people who sadly have no interest in the truth. That is one of the most dangerous places that you can be as an individual is when you stop pursuing truth. Now, I want to show you Papyrus 52. I want to show you the most ancient, priceless fragment. I have permission to show these high-resolution photos from the keeper of the John Ryland's library. I saw these fragments for the first time and examined them 10 years ago. These are held at the University of Manchester. They came into the, Manchester, uh, the university's collection in 1920. They weren't discovered till the 1930s. You are looking at the oldest fragment of the New Testament right there. Did you know that? This is P52. In fact, we date it. If you're new to biblical studies, we date it called paleography. We compare handwriting. And the reason you're looking at what looks like a mirror is it's really cool. Uh, this comes from an ancient book called a codex. So what you're looking at right there on the left would be like page 29 in this book. And then the, that's called the recto. Then the verso 
where the lines of the papyrus go up and down vertically, verso, that would be the next page. Guess what passage is on the right fragment? The very passage we're studying this morning, John 18, chapter 37. In fact, I know you can do this, okay? I know you can do this. And those of you over there, check out line six on the right fragment, okay? See the six centimeter. Go to the right, that's the third line, right there in Greek, in the oldest, most priceless fragment we have of the New Testament, dated to A.D. 125, would have been in circulation when the original of Gospel of John was circulating, ek tes aletheus, of the truth. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I just get excited about this. Like, we're looking at the very conversation about truth. I love studying the Bible. I love studying the truth. Right there, ek tes. Oh, by the way... This is a total footnote. Can we show the next slide? This is my photograph from the first time I visited the Rylands Library. It goes in to talk about how this is the most priceless fragment in all of Christendom, and the Rylands Library is so special to have it. Go to the last line of the right side. Do you see it says, Gospel of John, chapter 17? That's a typo, ladies and gentlemen. It's actually John 18. I didn't want to tell anyone, so I didn't. So if you've ever sent out an email with a typo, you're not alone, okay? Here it is right here with our most ancient Greek fragment. It's actually John 18, 37 and 38. Finally, when we answer this question, as I said, please do not deny yourself the quest for truth. Commit to pursue truth at all costs. And so we have to ask ourselves some practical questions when confronted with the truth. Am I pursuing truth at all costs? Why is it so weighty for us to consider this question this morning? Make no mistake, everything outside of truth is a lie. And friends, as an ordained minister of the gospel, I have sat with people whose lives have been destroyed by lies. Haven't you seen it? Addiction. Marriages and families breaking up, lies. Bad decisions made, lies. I want to be a bolt of truth in people's life, don't you? I don't want to apologize for it. I want to herald it. I want to defend it. And if need be, die for the truth. That's what the Bible is calling us to. That's the kind of fresh faith we need if we're going to reach people for Jesus Christ. And we'll be right back with the final part of my message, Does Absolute Truth Exist? Stay with us. Hey, this is Jeremiah. Welcome back to the program. Let's go right now to the final part of my message, Does Absolute Truth Exist? So the most important way that I can teach you in our remaining moments the ills and how deadly moral relativism is is for me to give you some cases of what happens in societies where the church goes to sleep. Let's just go through our slides if we can for a moment. In a society without God, and I go into depth with my book, Unimaginable, here's what you can anticipate if Christianity collapses in the United States or wherever you're listening from. Number one, inequality, slavery, uh, eugenics. Number two, moral relativism, very dangerously. In a society without God... In a society where we can kill absolute truth, guess what? It becomes much easier to kill people. Did you know that? 
We can document it in 40 pages of citations. Humanity is dehumanized. It's cryptic when you study the big thinkers of the 17th and 18th century, friends, how quickly they could discuss someone's loss of the right to live. Nietzsche was famous for this. He believed in eugenics, that we should cull the human herd for the best and the brightest. And it's okay if millions should die because, quote, some men and women have no right to live. And, of course, Nietzsche is worshipped in modern philosophy departments today. Survival of the strong and the aggressive. Peter Singer, the ethicist at Princeton, says, You should not be looked at as a special creation made in the image of God, first among all the animals. That's a lie. You are a two-legged animal, and only the law of the jungle applies, the strong and the aggressive. So we see the, the collision of absolute truth, relativism, when, of course, Richard Dawkins, there is no good, there is no evil, there is blind, pitiless indifference. Let's go to the next slide. And again, I wish I had more time. And unimaginable, I show every believer how it's a slippery slope when God is sidelined and Christianity is marginalized. Evil reigns. And unfortunately, the church is being lulled to sleep. We don't have an intelligent response. And that's why I thank God for this Bible-loving church that's willing to do a whole series on skeptic. I want to show you another slide. This is a story that I hope you'll remember in an image. Here's Hitler, of course. Ein Volk, Ein Reich, Ein Führer, one people, uh, one, one empire, one leader or lord. The next slide is the 1934, or excuse me, this is a great point. Hitler decided that he could create truth and he could eliminate absolute truth. And in 1937, by the way, Hitler had the church question just like he had the Jewish question, lest you forget. He had the, we all know how he answered the Jewish question. And he decided to call on all of the Christians in Germany to swear allegiance to the Third Reich. And I love this case. Professor Ernst Kasemann preaching with Gestapo in his church. Knowing that Hitler has called and said, absolute truth doesn't exist. You swear allegiance to me. And this bold man of God preaches Isaiah 26. Lord, our God, our Lord, we other lords besides you rule over us. But your name alone do we honor. And the man went to prison preaching this. Where are the Christians like Ernst Kasemann today? Where are the men and women who say, God, I'll stand for you and I'll stand alone if I need be for the truth. That's the faith that will light us on fire. And of course, Hitler, I'll show you the Nuremberg rallies, 1934. Remember when Hitler joined the black shirt movement, there were seven members. Here's the 1934 Nuremberg rallies. Here's the Hitler youth. And if you don't think Hitler wanted to eliminate truth... Here is the Hitler Youth song that was sung with the Hitler Youth at the 1934 rally. We are the joyful Hitler Youth. We need no Christian virtue, for our Fuhrer Adolf Hitler is ever our mediator. No pastor, no evil one can hinder us from feeling as Hitler's children. We follow not Christ, but horsed vessel away with incense and holy water. The church can be taken away from me. The swastika is redemption on earth. It will I follow everywhere. Baldur von Schirach, take me along. And that lie in Baldur von Schirach did take thousands of the Hitler youth to their death believing that. You know what's fascinating to me? 
I did a study of who made up the SS. Who were these men who carried out mass murder for Hitler? And do you know in the 1930s in Germany, the job of choice when you graduated university was to join the Schutzstaffel? The number one position, lawyers, bankers, and according to a University of London PhD thesis, clergymen, ministers who would join the SS and be unapologetic to the end. And so, friends, I could give you more and more examples, which I do in Unimaginable, but I want to close with a very personal story. Because, you see, I'm up here first and foremost as a follower of Jesus. I found the freedom and I found the joy that comes from living in the truth. I remember when my life was confused. I remember when I didn't follow Jesus, how everything didn't make sense. And the moment I locked into Christ, it got real clear. By knowing the absolute truth in Christ, I want to go from strength to strength. And so he prepares us for when truth collides. I want to show you a picture of our triplets. We have five children, Lily Faith, Justin, and here's our triplets. This is taken where we live in Pecan Grove. Jackson on the left, Ryder in the middle, Abel on the right. I want you to lock in on the two guys on the right, because even though they're triplets, the guys on the right are identical, okay? By the way, this is another footnote, 500 diapers a month, okay? So I just want to thank you for buying a book for... So we had our first appointment, and I want to say this, I love... Texas Children's Hospital. I love all the hospitals. I love all the nurses. Our boys spent eight weeks in the neonatal intensive care unit. Those people are amazing. Phenomenal experience all the way through. However, at our first appointment with the maternal fetal, maternal fetal medicine expert doctor, we had waited weeks for this appointment. The doctor walks in and she begins to tell us in the first 10 minutes of the appointment that Look at Ryder. Ryder is sharing a placenta with Abel, and it's likely they could develop TTTS, twin-to-twin transfer syndrome, where one baby would hoard all the nutrients from the other, killing it, killing the other baby, and imperiling the life of Audrey. And then she said something. She said, would you like... A fetal reduction. We can do that because some people don't want triplets. In fact, you can take two or you can take one. And I'm in this moment where I'm listening to a cultural euphemism lie. And I didn't need to say a word. Today is Pentecost Sunday, seven weeks from Easter. And I want you to know I'm married to a spirit-filled, amazing wife. And she spoke up. She said, and because we we appreciate this doctor, she said, we will trust the Lord. We don't need to hear anything more about a fetal reduction. Thank you. And you know what's so amazing? They were born without a single problem. A, because God's people pray. But I believe God will honor us when we speak truth to a situation. So... I don't know if you're going to have a collision with relativism this week, but God has you here today and he has you listening online and he's preparing you for when those conversations come. I pray that you will stand for absolute truth. Everyone who is of the truth, ek, teis, aletheus, everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. 
Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the power of the word of God. We thank you for the truth of the gospel message. We pray that we might go out of here today going from strength to strength, one blessing upon another, because we are locked into you, Father, the spirit of truth. My prayer now, Lord Jesus, is for anyone who has not met you to make a decision to be converted. Because, Lord, we know we don't ease into Christianity. We don't tiptoe into it. Father, you call us to make a decision. And God, I believe there are men and women, young and old alike, who today, perhaps, this is their day of decision. So, friends, I couldn't possibly close this worship service without praying for you and asking how many of you would say, Jeremiah, there was a day and time in my life when I made a decision for Jesus Christ. I repented of my sins. I placed my trust in the living Christ. I'm forgiven and I know it. I'm going to live forever with having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about it. I'm a Christian and I know it. I'm a follower of Jesus. If that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you raise your hand as a testimony of it? Raise it high where I can see it all over this auditorium. Praise God for all these hands. There were many of you that could not raise your hand a moment ago. And that's okay because one time in my life, I couldn't either. And I would not want to close this message without praying for you like someone did for me. I know you know there's a God. I know you know there's absolute truth, but it is on you to make a decision. The Bible says if you have faith as a mustard seed, faith is feeble and small as it may be. When you lock into the source of truth, you are forgiven eternally. How many of you would say, Jeremiah, would you pray for me? I couldn't raise my hand a moment ago, but I wish I could. Jeremiah, pray for me. I want to know God. I want to be forgiven. I want to know for sure that Jesus is my Savior and heaven is my home. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just slip your hand up so I can pray for you right now like someone did for me. Yes, sir. How many others? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. In the balcony. Yes, ma'am. How many others? Pray for me. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Pray for me, Jeremiah. I want to know God. How many others? Just lift that hand up so I can pray for you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I see that hand. How many others? Yes. Pray, Christian. God's spirit is working in hearts. If you raise your hand, I want to lead you to Jesus Christ. And it's not the words that save you, but it's the prayer of faith that does. If you raised your hand or if you're watching online and would say, Jeremiah, I want to know God. I want to be forgiven. Pray this prayer, Lord Jesus. That's right, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and raising from the dead to give me freedom. Help me now to walk with you. I trust in you and your forgiveness. I trust in you, Jesus, as my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Jeremiah. Such an important challenge for us today, knowing that truth is absolute in every sense of the word. We're going to be right back with some final thoughts. Stay with me. This is the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Hey, this is Jeremiah. Welcome back to the program. Such a vitally important subject today for me to teach you how to respond when culture says the truth is relative, the truth doesn't exist. You know, I've been giving Dietrich Bonhoeffer a lot of thought lately. Of course, 
He was executed in a Nazi concentration camp the 9th of April, 1945. He was literally on a short list given by Hitler to Heinrich Himmler himself to be executed just within months of the Allies liberating the camps. I want you to think about something for a moment because Bonhoeffer read the great books. He read the Bible. He was, of course, this devout Christian man. And his judge, though, many people don't realize his judge, Otto Thorbeck, had the exact same education as Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, let this sit in for a moment. Even though his judge, his SS judge, who, by the way, took the train to the trial uh, where it would happen for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he took the train, the train broke down. He was so determined to carry out this essentially execution trial on Bonhoeffer. Get this, that Judge Thorbeck actually rode the last 20 kilometers by bicycle just to get there to carry out his, quote, sense of justice. Now, let this sink in for a moment. Even though Otto Thorbeck and Dietrich Bonhoeffer read the same great books, they came to different conclusions about absolute truth. For Bonhoeffer, understanding that truth was absolute meant that he would stand against injustice. He would stand against evil personified Hitler himself. But George Thorbeck saw that as his mission to simply carry out his orders. And how often do people hide behind this excuse, oh, I'm just carrying out my orders, without thinking of the ethical implications? So just think about that for a moment. When we discuss absolute truth, these are very real concepts that impact our daily lives. Truth, as I said in my sermon, is so important it's worth dying for. And yet, don't you find it interesting that Otto Thorbeck, even though he had the same classical education, he had no moral compass he did not allow the Holy Spirit to show him what absolute truth was. And so that's why he was so intentional about carrying out the execution on our brother in Christ, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There's so many things that we can learn, so many lessons that need to be employed in our life. My charge to you as we close today's broadcast is please be a person who lives by absolute truth. Absolute truth in your morals, absolute truth in your ethical decision making, absolute truth in your Christian uh, in your Christian living, friends, this is so important. These are not just concepts that we talk about in a classroom. These are things we live out in our life. This is what distinguishes our faith from the evil world around us. And as I mentioned in the program, this is a very important question, but this is not a sophisticated attack when it comes to the Christian faith. Listen, uh, I've had the privilege to engage with, with thinkers at some of the highest levels uh, and I've heard sophisticated attacks against the Christian faith. There are some that make me even think and give me pause. But this whole question, this whole notion of, oh, truth is just relative to me. This is not a sophisticated attack. As you've been trained in today's broadcast, it is a very easy question to answer. Make no mistake, it has deadly consequences. And as I mentioned to you in this message, this is the first time in a media program where I have actually shared the story of Audrey and I being told that we've been given the option, can you believe it, of having a, quote, fetal reduction as it related to our triplets. Talk about a terrible, terrible, evil cultural euphemism. So would you just pray for my wife as she continues to spread this message of life 
that we learned in our own family, that we learned through our absolute truth, Christian worldview upbringing. But this is a message that needs to get out there. So please continue to pray for my wonderful wife, Audrey. Pray for Christian Thinker Society. Connect with us online. Connect with us on social media. Don't forget, this program and all of our programs here at Faith Radio Network become blogs that you can share uh, and certainly use in your Bible studies and your Christian groups. What an important message that we've heard today. Yes, absolute truth exists. Jesus is truth embodied. All truth is God's truth. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.